Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for the blessings that have been thus ours, ours so, so far during these meetings and through the fellowship that we have enjoyed. And now, Father, we have come to you here to be blessed again. So we would ask that your Holy Spirit will be here with us, that you will speak to each one of us through Tom and Elaine as they share with us this, this morning. And, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to each one of our hearts so that we might receive that special blessing you have in store for each one of us. And we thank you so much for hearing and answering our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that smile song put a smile on my face. You want to come over and do dishes at our house? That would be wonderful. That's an invitation. You know, we, we enjoy a happy home, and it doesn't happen by accident, does That's it? Right. And it doesn't always feel sunshiny, does it? But you know, we don't have to be governed by our feelings, do we? Amen. We don't have to be governed by our emotions, by our circumstances. And when we choose to smile, 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 it does an amazing thing, doesn't it? Because the clouds can go away. And they will, by the grace of God. Well, that was very fitting for the message that we want to share today, because we're going to talk about the ABCs of parenting. You like the ABCs? Children, how many of you know your ABCs? All right. What's the first letter of the alphabet? And the second one? And the third one? Okay. Now... That's the way parenting is. There are some very basic things in parenting, and we're calling them the ABCs. And we're going to see today if you can guess what the ABCs of parenting we're going to be talking about. Go ahead, dear. Give me some clues. All right. Let you help us, and let's find out what we think the letter A represents in parenting. So what do you think? What does the letter A stand for? Attitude. Did you hear that young voice that said that? (laughs) That was very good. Very good. Just the children's attitude? No. All of our attitudes, right? But that's not what we picked, although that's a good one. You can have several ABC lists, really, because we find out there's a lot. But what's another thing that is vitally important in parenting, in raising our children? What would that A represent? Anybody else? Affirmation. Oh, affirmation. That's good. Very good, <laughs> Very but that's important. not it. And it's, that's important, but that's not the one we picked. A walk with Jesus. You can't get any better than that, right? That's right. That is the, the foundation of all true joy and happiness and success in anything in life, including parenting. When we have a walk with Jesus, we parent in Jesus Christ. And then we parent heart to heart, which is the series this message is taken from, Parenting Heart to Heart, the ABCs. But it's not a walk with Jesus. Anybody else? I'll give you one more opportunity. Authority. That's very good, too, but that's not it. See, we're expanding our minds here today, aren't we? Don't lose any of those. Yeah, write those down, okay? You, you have your note sheets, right? I hope you'll take notes. What was that one? 
Actions, that's very good too. And that's the right second letter. And the third letter is another C. A, C. What was that? Accountability. Accountability. That's the one we were looking for. Accountability. All right. Accountability to who? To God first, right? That's, that incorporates that walk with God. Accountability to God and accountability to parents. Our children have an accountability to us as parents, and we need to train them in that. First to God, second to us, and third, an accountability to their elders and to others. So, now the B. You got the A. The Bible, that's good. That's, that's vital to parenting. And we actually have another message in this series that talks about that. The whole message talks about that. But it's not the Bible. Oh, that's a good one too. Behavior. Boundaries, I heard somebody say. Boundaries. Boundaries. Boundaries is the word we're looking for here. Accountability and boundaries and those boundaries are the boundaries that God has established right his law his principle are those boundaries and they are to govern us in our homes not according to the mood that I am in or that my child is in but according to principle at all times and we're specifically going to be looking at two very clear boundaries that the law of God discuss in the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. The boundary of obedience and the boundary of respect. Because there we find that all the other training of our children oftentimes is built on that foundation. Obedience and respect. So boundaries, accountability is the A, boundaries is the B, and now can you figure out what C stands for? Character. Character, that's very good too. That's the, that's the product we're looking for that's out right. of this parenting, right? Good character. Very good. Oh, we need that. That's not it, but that's what we need to help get that character. Carefulness, no. That's good too. You ought to write these down. <laughs> Commitment, that's good. Consistency. This is one that most people don't really like to talk about. It's not a comfortable subject. Consequences. Consequences. <laughs> now you're all enthusiastic, right? Because <laughs> we're going to be <laughs> we're going to be talking about the ABCs. Consequences appropriate to the infraction done. Consequences that are appropriate to the disobedience, the disrespect, or whatever is the challenge that we face as parents. Well, you know, we we've always tried in our home as parents to base the things that we talk about in our home and the things that we share, because what we share with you actually is just the stuff we live in our home or we're experiencing in our home. So we're just sharing with you. We try always to have a reasonable basis for what we believe in. And that basis needs to come from the Word of God. So as we were looking at these principles in our own home, we looked for God's basis for these principles. And we found it right in the first book of the Bible, right at the very beginning of mankind, 
In fact, we found it there with the creation of the first man, Adam. The illustration of how God, our Heavenly Father, how he deals with the ABCs of his parenting of his children. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with us to Genesis, the second chapter. And we're going to look at verse 16. Genesis 2, 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou may, mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. Now, was there sin present at this point? What do you think? No. No, this is a perfect man, perfect God, perfect environment, and now God is saying, thou shalt not eat of it. What is God doing here, Elaine? Well, what do you think he's establishing in the ABCs? Boundaries, very clear, in a perfect environment with a perfect family that he created by his own hands and by his own breath. He has established very clear boundaries that, will, that are given in love to demonstrate obedience and respect. Now I want you to switch over to Genesis the third chapter in verse 7. I wish we had time to read the entire story and look at every detail of it because we have in our home and it's powerful how God parents his people. It's powerful. And if we will pattern our parenting after God's principles, we will have the best opportunity for success in Christian parenting. But I want to skip over now to, to Genesis 3, verse 7. And they, Adam and Eve, heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And then go down to verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And then in verse 11. Who told thee thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Now listen to God and put this in your parenting. Men, fathers, mothers, listen to how God handles this. Where art thou? Did God know where Adam and Eve were? Who told thee thou wast naked? Did he know who told them? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Did he know? Mm -hmm. What is God doing here? What is God doing here in the ABCs? He's calling them to accountability, isn't he? He's calling for them to come forward and to be accountable for their choices, for their decisions, for their actions that were in uh, conflict with his established boundary. You know, many times, and, and the reason I emphasize this is I read these portions of the account. Many times, what we do as parents, and I say we do as parents because I'm just as guilty and have been just as guilty as any of you, we go into the situation, I know what you did, now, why did you do that? And before we let them answer, we say, you shouldn't have done that. We're not giving the young person the opportunity to be accountable. 
were actually taking the accountability. God knew exactly what they did, perfectly knew what they did. We don't always know, do we? Sometimes we think we know. Sometimes we surmise improperly of what our children have done. It's better to go into our children and say, where are you? What have you done? Who told you you were naked? You know, we need to go through this process to let them, to draw them out and to make them accountable before we jump to the conclusions. Now look at verse 12. There's some interesting um, things happening here. And the man said, so now he's going to answer, isn't he? He's been asked three questions, and now he's finally going to respond back. Notice what he says next. The what? The who? Say it again. The woman. Now what does he say? Whom thou gavest. Is that clear? Whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Does that sound familiar? Have you ever heard anything similar to that in your home? Maybe not the exact words, but what are you doing, Emily? What's going on? Calling to accountability, and when she's ready to respond, is she going to tell me what she did, or is she going to be tempted, as all of us have been tempted and have fallen into putting the blame somewhere else? Mother, Allison, and you told, and Father did, and Josiah should have, and what's she trying to do? Save herself, right? Just like Mother and Father try to what? Save ourselves. And parents, we need to recognize that there's an implied message here, but I don't want to leave it just as an implication. We need to realize that often the things we see in our children come directly as mirrors to what we're not dealing with in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Things that they see happening in us, how they see us interacting together, how they see us taking responsibility. Do they see us making excuses? Do they hear us saying, I'm sorry, but if you hadn't said that, I wouldn't have reacted this way. What are we teaching our children? Are we showing them the way within the boundaries of the law of God? Or are we doing the same thing that we don't want to see happening in them? I want you to notice that as God called to make Adam accountable, it's because Adam was the man that God had made first. God was the leader. I mean, God was the leader. Adam was the leader of his home. Do you know that Eve was not even created when God laid the boundary for Adam? Did you realize that? The boundary that was laid for Adam about the tree was laid before Eve was even created. Adam conveyed the boundary to Eve... He led his family, if you will. He led his wife in that situation. But Adam was made accountable. Now I want you to notice what happens in verses 14 to 24. I'm not going to read all those verses for the sake of time, but the story is there. The first consequence that took place was given to who? The serpent. Now I want you to notice something very interesting. Adam was the last one to fall in the sequence. The serpent was the first one to get the consequences because the serpent was the one who began the process of sin. 
that's where the consequences began. The serpent now, the serpent was cursed to be on his belly. The woman was next. The woman participated next in being deceived by the serpent. The woman now is given the sorrow and pain and childbearing, and she must now, from now on, she must be subject, her husband must rule over her. Then the man is next. The ground is cursed for his sake. Thorns and thistles will be coming out on the plants, and he must labor hard now and sweat to get what he gets from the land. And then the final consequence, of course, is that they are all, both of them, and of course the devil included, but Adam and Eve are driven from the garden. And a sword is placed at the entrance so that they do not pass back through and eat of the tree of life and perpetuate sin. So, is this a loving God? Our Father, which art in heaven. You know, this is a loving Father in heaven. Why couldn't he have just come in the cool of the evening and said, oh, I really feel bad that you did this. But, you know, when I said that about the consequences, I'm just going to let it go this time. Doesn't that sound foreign to us? Doesn't that almost sound blasphemous? Aren't you thankful that God, our Father, didn't take that position? Amen. He couldn't. His law is love. Amen. He embodies the law. He embodies love. And if he would have taken that position, he couldn't have taken that position. But do we take that position, friends? Do we often take that position if our mood is such that we don't feel like dealing with it or we're, okay, well, we'll we'll let it go this time? And what are we teaching our young people We're teaching them that they don't have to be accountable to God or to us. We're reliving the lie. The devil said, thou shalt not surely die. God told you you'd surely die. Thou shalt not surely die. We're telling our young people, you can get away with this. You don't have to be accountable to us as your parents. You don't have to be accountable to God. Those boundaries are movable. It doesn't matter whether you squeeze those boundaries here and there. There won't be any consequences. Do you know, brothers and sisters, the tragedy is that if we live out that kind of life for our children, if we take away those boundaries, we will experience, our children will experience the very thing that Eli's boys experienced. Mm -hmm. God worked on those boys' hearts. He worked on Eli's hearts. And he would not do anything but gently reprove. And finally, God had to take it into his own hands. And you know... Some people think today that God is just a God of mercy. The God of the Old Testament was a God of justice. The God of New Testament is mercy. No. The God of the Old Testament is the God of love, where justice and mercy mix. Amen. And the God of the New Testament is the same God. Amen. And our children, and we as parents, must not get the idea that the lie of the devil, thou shalt not surely die, is what we believe somehow, that God is just too good, and that he'll just save us all, no matter what we do. All of us will reap the consequences of eating the forbidden fruit eventually if we do not surrender ourselves to God. This is what we need to be teaching and training 
in precept as parents and example to our young people. As we started to explore this more deeply for the needs in our own home, because we wanted, we recognized that we wanted our children to be ready for the kingdom of God. We wanted them to be in God's kingdom forever, to live forever. Can you imagine that? I still can't even fathom that because everything has a beginning and an ending that we're accustomed to. Everything, right? But in heaven, the way God designed it to be here in this world, on this earth, was that we would be created and live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever have an end. We want that for our children. Our children motivated us in our Christian experience to start seriously considering the the Word of God and bringing Him into a personal relationship in our lives because we recognized that we weren't going that direction. We weren't really training that in our children. And so as we began to, to search the Word of God for these principles that are very clearly defined and illustrated very practically through very familiar stories that we've passed over for years, we began to recognize that we as parents have unintentionally, sometimes not even knowingly, done the very thing to undermine these principles of accountability, boundaries, and consequences. We had learned to make excuses for our children when things wouldn't go right. And these, we want to illustrate some of the ones that we've experienced and we know other families have experienced in their home. Let's talk about the shy child. Have you ever seen the shy, the shy child? The, the shy child goes something like this. You greet them with a kind and happy greeting, and they go... Hide behind mother and they won't. father. And then, what does mother say? What do we say, mothers? Oh, he's just shy. And this has really happened many times. It's happened in our home, yeah, well, personally, with we, our children. We both said it. <laughs> and we've seen it in other homes. And, and then what happens, I remember one situation. We, we heard this from the, the mother. You know, well, just shy. Not five minutes later, that shy boy was bouncing on the couch and screaming. Okay? Is this a shy child? There is such a thing as a shy child. Inspiration says it's a very beautiful child. And that shy, reserved child is that way in every situation. The shy child we're talking about is the one that doesn't feel like being accountable. Mm-hmm. And they'll talk to who they want to talk to. You understand the difference? And we cannot, as parents, make excuses for these, oh, they're just shy. No, it'd be better off if we just said, well, the poor thing's impudent. The poor thing's just stubborn, strong-willed, totally disobedient. <laughs> that, that would be better. Okay, Because that's the truth in most cases. It's not a shy, reserved child. And so God began to show us in our own home. Let's deal honestly with these things. Okay, Let's not let our children... Remember, the first accountability is to God. Mm-hmm. Secondly is to parents. Thirdly is to speak respectfully. 
we said in our home, our children, when they're old enough to speak, ought to be old enough to be able to give a clear answer. Not mumble. Give a clear answer when they're spoken to. They need to learn to look somebody in the eye. And we, as their parents, if we are with them in that situation, they should trust us enough as their parents that it's okay Amen. to speak respectfully to a person that speaks to them. Even a total stranger. Total stranger. Is that a fair expectation? But you know, it, it's very rare today. Yeah, we, uh, we raised two shy children at the beginning. That was Alice and Emily. They were also quite sassy and quite loud and boisterous and controlling when they wanted to be. The shyness of them only came if, somebody, if, if they were asked to do something or talk to someone and they didn't feel like it. Then mother had an out for them. Then we became, we recognized that, wait a minute, they're sassy here and they're shy here. These, these are not, you know, they're not the same. This, this doesn't go together with what we, we were studying, what we were beginning to understand from the Word of God. So we began to change, and we started very simply talking about trusting us. If I am with you in the store and someone comes and speaks to you, you don't need to hide behind me. You can say, hello, I'm there. I'm not going to let anyone hurt you. So they can trust us where our presence is there, and we can give them that clear boundary. That boundary is a boundary of obedience and respect to us as their parent first, as well as to God. But, I mean, we're standing, shall we say, in the place of God. That's who our children learn who God is, is by our example when they're very young, until they come to know him personally. So we are setting a boundary. That's a boundary of obedience and respect. If you speak to my child, they can answer you in a, to the best of their ability, their real ability. And that ability is not based on that moment. That ability is based on what we know they can do when they're not placed in that situation that may cross their will. So we began then in our home to talk about being respectful and to, that it was disobedient not to follow through if mother said you can say hello or greet the person. And then we role-played that so that when they were back in that situation, whether it was at church, whether it was grandma, it's interesting that a shy child isn't just to a stranger. It can be to a relative, a grandparent, a cousin, a, an aunt and uncle, and sometimes even an own, their own parent that gets used. And it's a form of undermine, it undermines that building of obedience and respect in the home, those boundaries. So we role-played it. Okay, we're going to go to the Super One store, and somebody's going to say to you, hi, how are you today? And especially old people really are attracted to small children, aren't they? And don't you know it just makes their day when a young child can smile at them and say hello and respond? I mean, that may, that, that's just like a star in their day, a, a beam of sunlight in their day. You know, they're lonely and old and... Maybe they don't feel very useful. And a little child has a, a beautiful way of reaching into the heart of those older people. And so we would do this in our home. How are you going to respond? And we would practice it. And then when we found ourselves in the environment, I would hold our children accountable for what they knew to be right. Amen. Honor thy father and thy mother, obedience and respect for us as their parents and to that other person. You know why we live 
in such a, a nation today that claims to be a Christian nation, but we live in a nation that is fearful of their own children, it's because we have not understood accountability, respect, I mean, accountability, boundaries, and consequences. And so, even when Josiah came along, he started much younger. I remember we were in the store, in a hardware store, and an older gentleman who worked in the store came up to him. He was just small enough to fit in the basket, you know, I mean, the little seat in the basket. So he's pretty small, probably 13, 14 months old. And the man came up to him, and he says, got right down in his face, and he says, Hello, how are you, sonny? Whatever the word is, you, you know, an older person would call a young boy. And Josiah looked at him, and he said, Hello. You should have seen that man. His whole countenance changed. He stood back. He was totally shocked that a child would even talk to him because usually he's used to a child falling apart, screaming, hiding, or giving a, a very disrespectful look. And even a young child can do that and turning away. And the mother says, my child is shy. So God can help to change our homes. And we can change the whole fabric of society by one family at a time. And we can turn the disrespect and the fear that's in this nation for, and we can help to be examples for the Lord Jesus to show proper respect to our elders and to authority. Somebody said that A was authority. We need to respect the authority in our country, friends. Respect the authority that's there and be honorable as Christians, as representatives of Jesus Christ in this world. Amen. You know, we found that, that a lot of young people who sometimes the parents will come and talk to us and feel like their children are just, you know, they're having all kinds of problems and what am I going to do with my children? You know, we have found that in many cases it is because we haven't given reasonable expectations for accountability. We haven't given clear boundaries that are understandable. We haven't thought about the principles that we want to live by in our home and how we want our young people to grow in those principles. And when we encourage, as we have in our own home, parents to take on those kinds of biblical, simple principles, we're talking today basically about accountability, boundaries and consequences as it regards obedience, honoring and respecting parents and God and others. Young people want to do what's right. Amen. They you believe really that? They want to do what's right. They need our guidance as parents to help them know Amen. what is right. This is the way walking in. They need us as parents to show them the way. This is the way. Let me show you the way. Let me tell you the way. Let me express practically the way. Let me live the way. And young people want to walk in that way. We have met little children and teenagers ready to leave in absolute rebellion. And on both ends of that spectrum, we have seen those young people in our own personal experience, seen those young people in our home who have turned to the Lord and turned to their parents Amen. when their parents have been, been willing to turn to the Lord for their sake. Children don't want to just be left to themselves. Confusion breeds rebellion. When we don't have clear boundaries, it breeds frustration. 
How come I can do it one day and I can't do it the next day? How come I can listen to this one day and when you're in a bad mood I can't listen to it? They need clear boundaries that are based on the principles of God's word. Mm -hmm. And they will learn to live within those happily. Well, we want to describe another very common excuse that many parents make. We've also used this one. And this can go from any age, from infant, clear up into maybe even a school-age child, even 12, 14 years old. We've heard parents say this about their young person. You've asked them to do something, and they're just, they're just not going to obey you. It's very clear. And you don't even have to have a stranger there. It can happen right in your own home, just mother with child, and nobody else be present. You ask them to do something, and they just don't feel like it. And they just don't want to do it, so they won't be obedient. Or they just stand there and they look at you. Or they sit there and they won't respond to you. Maybe it's something you have at the dinner table, and they just won't eat it. And you've asked them just to try a little bit. You don't have to like it. You don't have to eat a lot, but you just, just have a piece, one bite. Reasonable, isn't it? Because you're, what are you teaching? Them to like the food? No, you're teaching them to learn how to obey and respect you. And so, what do we say sometimes, parents? The classic. When our child disobeys. Oh, he's just tired. Have you ever said those words? He's just tired. And I say I'm tired sometimes. And you know what? We adults excuse our behavior, our fleshly nature with that same excuse. Oh, I'm tired. Just leave me alone. Right? That's why I got upset with you because I'm tired. As if that justifies the action, the sin, the stubbornness of heart. So this, this little excuse actually threads through an adulthood life. I'm just tired. And so we make the excuse, well, she hasn't had her nap yet. Oh, he got to bed really late, didn't get enough sleep. That's a little older child. She's in a strange place. She's not resting as good as she normally would at home. I mean, these are all things that we've said or we've heard said. But we are excusing wrong behavior. We're excusing it. We're justifying. We're giving it out for that boundary of obedience and respect. So how can we change this? We want to look at practical ways. So if you've got the, the excuse of the tired child syndrome, well, let's take away the excuse. One of the best ways to take away the excuse for the tired family syndrome is to get some regularity in the day. Amen. Do you know one of the hardest things for people to, to become subject to is regularity? Regularity. I mean, people ask us, over and over we get asked this, because we, we travel all over, and if we told you some of the schedule that we have, it's incredible. God's grace is sufficient. But one of the things we've learned is that the first thing we need to do when we fly from here to Romania, the first thing we need to do is get on the Romanian schedule. That means when we get there, and it's 7.30 in the morning, and our bodies are saying, I am tired. I want to go to sleep. We don't go to sleep. We get on their schedule. We go for a walk. We drink lots of water. We get actively involved in a project. And we, we make ourselves stay up until at least 6 o'clock that night. And then we crash. <laughs> and then we're pretty much on track to go forward with the meetings. 
We get on their meal schedule and we stay on it. You know, people say, well, how long does it take you to regroup once you get back from a camp meeting like this? Eight o'clock Monday morning, we're back on schedule. We have to. Doesn't matter that we might not get in. This is our closest camp meeting. We can drive to this camp meeting. We fly from New York, we get in. It's 2.30 in the morning, New York time, when we arrive home. But we can't afford to say, well, let's start maybe Tuesday. No, we're back on track Monday morning, 8 o'clock. Is his grace sufficient? Amen. One of the best things we can do for our homes, for our young people, is teach them how to have regularity, even when it's not always the same regularity. You know, people couldn't understand how our children could do homeschool. We homeschooled them all the way through high school, traveling with the kind of schedule we had. It's because our expectations and our boundaries did not give them the excuse not to do their homeschool. They did it in the car. They did it on the airplanes. They did it wherever they were, visiting someone's home, because that was the expectation. And if you ask our children if they thought they were beat up because of it, no, they thank us for it. Because it developed in them the ability to stay with it. And that tiredness means that they need to get to bed at a regular time in the evening. Can we do that? Most of you don't have the kind of schedule that we have. Can you, can you have a regularity for night? Absolutely. Yes, if you choose it. If you surrender to the Lord, if you make it a priority, and then we can begin to eliminate some of the excuses. Mm-hmm. I remember in our home, not only had our children from time to time early on heard me say, oh, they're just tired. You know, they're very quick to pick up on that. And I remember one day, our son was doing a school lesson that he really wasn't very fond of. And he came to me and said, Mother, I am so tired. Why? Was he so fatigued? Can anybody figure that out? Was it... This physical exhaustion, or was it something to do with, I think one of the children here today mentioned attitude. It was an attitude tiredness, shall we say. It wasn't a bodily tiredness. And so I said, are you really tired? Yes, mother, I'm really tired. I says, okay, you go have a nap, and when you get up, you can finish your math lesson. <laughs> that was the consequence that was related to, directly in proportion to, the offense, right? Or the... The situation we faced. I didn't have to, you know, go through this huge ordeal. I simply said, go take a nap. Well, he rested a little while and got back up after a short period of time and came in and did his school. The boundary was clear. He was accountable to get his homework done. He was accountable for what he said. And you know, when we have those clear accountabilities and those clear boundaries and we're not afraid to offer proper consequences to violation of those boundaries, then we find that our children learn to be honest much easier. They're not so subject to be tempted to say a falsehood in order to try to skirt something they don't like. So we are actually working in many, many levels of character development through the ABCs. And I can tell you that when our children are tired, and Josiah was one who did need rest at different times in his life, I mean, we could be in a church meeting. We could be at a camp meeting. He'd just lay his head in my lap and go to sleep. He knew how, when he was physically worn out, how to sleep without making a commotion. 
He could lay on the floor in the church. He could lay on the pew. He could fall asleep on the airplane. Even at home sometimes he'd go put himself down for a rest and get back up and be refreshed. So there is some legitimate tiredness, but teach our young people how to manage that when it's appropriate. Let them manage it, but let's not use that as an excuse. Another one of the excuses, and we're just talking about some very simple things here that are very general, but they have the principles that we're talking about, and you can apply it as it fits. The not feeling good child. What we're trying to emphasize here is removing accountability, often unconsciously excusing things in our children, which is setting the tone for for deeper-seated problems in life. The not-feeling-good child, they're easily provoked, they're moody, they're irritable, they have a short fuse, it doesn't take much to set them off. Do we make excuses for this child? Do we? I've, I've actually heard mothers use this, my, my child's just not feeling good, or, or my son's not feeling good, and the son is like 18 or 19 or 20 years old. Oh, he's, he's got a headache. He had a terrible day at work today. I mean, he's old enough to have a job outside of the home, and mother's still excusing his behavior, his, his intolerance, his impatience, his moodiness, his disrespect even to her. And she's just excusing by saying, well, he just had a rough day at work today. You know, we need to give them a little bit of space. We are excusing our children from those boundaries that God has established, not just us, those boundaries of obedience and respect and all the other things that are incorporated in that fifth commandment of honoring thy father and thy mother, all the other things that are incorporated in that law of God from respect and accountability to God all the way down to fellow man. We cannot afford to be excusing our young people, our young adults, by saying, well, they just had a bad day at work, or he's got a headache, and just, you know, when he gets a headache, he's, he's a little temperamental. That's saying, okay, anytime I feel a little bit irritated or short or I, I, my will is crossed, I'll just say i got a headache, so I have an excuse to have this behavior. It's not right. If we don't deal with these things honestly in ourselves, because I have to tell you quite honestly, and and my young people know this, many of the things that we're talking about today, I didn't have dealt with in me when I was their age. So what happens? So I grow up with the same problems that I'm dealing with in my 5-year-old, my 10-year-old, my 15-year-old, my 20-year-old, If we are willing to let God deal with us where we are, we will be equipped to deal with our young people as they grow up. Amen. What we don't address in this accountability, if we do not help our young people to be accountable, they will not be accountable to God. They will not be accountable to us. They will not be useful citizens in their wider sphere of employment. You know, it's a thrill as a parent when you see the things that you've made your young people accountable for. I mean, we're, we're very thankful as we, or thankful Josiah's here with us, flew in last night to be back with us. But, you know, as parents, we're very thrilled to see the things that work. We're not just focusing on the things that don't work, okay? We're very thankful to see the areas that have worked and to see the, the, the progress that our son has made in 
his program at Westwood School of Aeronautics. That's a thrill to our soul. It's a thrill to talk to the chief flight instructor and find out how well he's doing in his employment side, working in the dispatch. We're thankful for those things. But I tell you, if we don't deal with these areas of accountability and boundaries when they're young, we'll have to deal with them later. Or in my case, as a man, because it wasn't dealt with in some of these areas when I was young, I'm having to deal with them as a man. But can God's grace deal with us? Absolutely. So we need to stop making excuses for the shy child, the tired child, the I don't feel good child, and we need to start saying, what's the cause of this? What are we dealing with here? Am I the cause? Can we work together in this? And let's deal with the cause and effect and get to the root of it and lay it, the axe to the root. In our home, we believe, as the scriptures teach, that there is no excuse for sin. And until we really put that in our heart, we will continue to make excuses. But if we believe there is no excuse for sin then it strips away all of our excuses, all of our justifications, all of our rationalizations, and puts us face-to-face with what God's boundaries are and the accountability we have before God, and also maybe some of those consequences that we ourselves or our children need to face. When we sin, when we choose to do something we know is not right, when my child chooses to disobey or be disrespectful or whatever it is, we choose to sin, and sin is always a choice. It is not something that just happens without any thought or any choice. We choose to sin. When that happens, we've taught our young people in our home, because this is the accountability that the Bible talks about, that we will confess and repent it, repent of it. It's always specific in nature, without any excuses, very specific for what I have done wrong, what I have said wrong, what my child has done wrong, what they have said wrong, and asking to be forgiven without any excuses. That's accountability to that boundary, those boundaries of love. When we operate within those boundaries of the law of God, we find we have total freedom, perfect freedom, and we have happiness and joy. I remember one day we went to a little second-hand store. I was looking for something, and they had, when we were checking out at the little desk, they had this little, tiny, homemade, cute little wood cabin that they had constructed out of little pieces of wood and had a little white sign on it. You know, you've seen these little miniatures, right? Well, Emily particularly loves miniature anything. She was always, you know getting the little bitties. She liked the little miniatures, and she was particularly attracted to this. And on that little cabin, or just in front of it, was a white piece of paper, very good size, about half the size of the cabin itself. She was old enough to read, very old enough to read. She's probably 10 or so. And on there was big black felt-tip letters that said, do not, do not what? touch. You've seen those signs, right? Now they put them in the stores. Now they say, you break it, you buy it. That's what it said there. Well, I, I saw this little house, and I saw the sign, and the other children saw the house and the sign, and I thought Emily saw the house and the sign. Well, Emily comes over there, and I'm interacting with the, the man who owns this little shop, and she looks down there, 
She was so intrigued. And they had a little door on it that you could really open. And she reached out there and she put her fingers on that little knob of that door and started to open just to see if it would really work. Kaboom! <laughs> the whole house exploded. Her face was horrified. <laughs> so was mine. <laughs> what is our first temptation, parents? Come on. We may, <laughs> we may be first tempted to excuse if that's our habit, but praise God, we had, we'd, we'd seen our problem and we were very far growing past it. Not that we still haven't been tempted, but this was not our first reaction. But sometimes that second reaction is, you know, how we respond to the child, right? And you should have seen the shop owner's look. And he played it up. You broke it. This was, you know, and he goes on. And before I spoke, I, I waited just a brief moment, and I looked at her, and she took accountability. She said, I'm sorry that I broke your house. And, <laughs> you know, I'm happy to pay for it. Isn't that what she should have been doing? That impressed that man so much, because a lot of other children had pulled that door. Mother made excuses for it. Mother offered to pay for it. Mother protects who? the children from being accountable to a boundary that was very clear, do not touch. Then the man broke out in a laugh. He said, it gets a lot of people. He puts the thing back together and we're waiting for the next victim to come through the door. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a cute story, but it, it's a real story and it had a real impression. You just ask Emily what impression that left on her mind. She reads everything now. When the sign says, do not touch, it left a very deep impression on her. And you know, that's really, when we have clear boundaries and we make our young people accountable and the consequences are fitting and the consequences are consistent, we give a message of security to our young people. Amen. And they live happily ever after if we'll keep them in that environment. And that's really what God's trying to do with his people. You know, Israel was such a stiff-necked people. And the, the more they went against the Lord, the tougher the consequences became. And you know, we've talked about some simple things, but there are people today, there may be people right here in this room, there often are in every setting like this, that are dealing with really hard problems. And in closing, we just want to share when the, the consequences need to be tough because the behavior is tough, God will give us the grace to do it in a graceful way. But I think of a family that I know, and they shared their experience. Their son was going off into some things with music and things on his computer and involved in things on the internet that were inappropriate. And he was sneaking out of the house and he was getting involved in habits that he never should have been involved in. And they were beside themselves. And they loved their son and they wanted to draw some firm boundaries. And I'll tell you what they did is draw firm boundaries that were consistent with what they were dealing with. They disconnected the internet. There was no more computer use. Zero. They took away everything that played music, and the only music that was listened to was the music the parents played 
and the music they had during worship. They stayed with their son 24 hours a day. The father slept in the same room with him every night. Is this a commitment? Amen. He sat with them at the table. He was not allowed to have any other association, make no other telephone calls. He was kept, at first he felt like a bond prisoner in his own home. But I wish that young man could stand up here today. He's not here today with us. If he was, he probably would be willing to do it. That young man today has spoken to me on more than one occasion. He said, I praise God and bless my parents Amen. for loving me enough to draw strong, firm boundaries. Brothers and sisters, how much do we love our young people? God loves us enough to draw firm boundaries for us. He begins with the mildest measures. He begins with the enticements of this do and thou shalt live, my son. But as those measures of love don't work, God begins to go more and more severe with his corrections. A God of love, it's always a God of love all the way through because Amen. he will not let us go. Right. He will do all that he can do. He said to Judas in his heart, how can I give thee up? When he washed his feet for the last time and Judas' soul thrilled, how much are we willing to give to our children? Will we draw firm boundaries? If we will, we have the best opportunity to redeem the souls of our children. Amen. The ABCs. God wants us to do them in his power and in his love. You want to be a part of that? Amen. The basics of God's loving parenting. And if we will do it, God will bless us. And we, by God's grace, can have happy, well-ordered, Christ-centered families to bear a testimony in this degenerate age. Amen. In closing, I'd like David, David, come up here and, and close us in prayers. David comes up. I hope that you'll be thinking about these ABCs and how can you apply them in your home today. Shall we kneel together? Let's kneel. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these messages. We thank you that the application on our lives that you give us, we thank you that you have so much love and we need to share it with our own families. Please help us as we go our separate ways. Thank you for this family that's sharing the message, the Waters family and the Rains, and be with us throughout these meetings. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.